0: so we're doing the book of Proverbs, and uh, as I was saying before, I was cut off, right? Proverbs is part of wisdom literature, and there are several authors. Uh, and who is the author with the most Proverbs? It's Solomon, and you'll see that from verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Right, so Proverbs is split up into several sections. Chapters 1 to 9 are a unit. And there's a flow from chapters 1 to 9. And then from chapters 10 to 29, it's kind of like the Psalms, where there isn't much unity. It almost seems like a random placing together of Proverbs, right? So it's not like you can say this is the structure, this is the order. It's like they've all been thrown in there. And then, uh, so chapter 10, verse 1, says the Proverbs of Solomon. And we are told in Proverbs 25 that some of the Proverbs were edited by the men of Hezekiah. And then we are given the names of two other authors in Proverbs 30, verse 1, which says the words of Hagar, so so that those Proverbs are written by a man named Hagar, and in chapter 31 are the words of King Lemuel, right? We don't know who the author of some of these other Proverbs were, but the majority is written by Solomon, who we do know about. Um, So getting into the book itself it's very important to have a genre understanding of proverbs in much of wisdom literature what we see are not promises they are proverbs right and i'll refer to that a lot right these are proverbs not promises because if you take a proverb as a promise you are going to be very disappointed and who you're going to be upset with you're going to be upset with god and we don't want that that would be sinful what is the nature of Proverbs? If you think about it in English, proverb in, so remember, Proverbs are not necessarily a biblical thing. There are English Proverbs. There are Japanese Proverbs. There are these kinds of Proverbs. And even if you think about English Proverbs, there seems to be a lot of contradiction. So you've heard the saying, the early bird gets the worm, right? So that means hurry up, don't delay, you know, get to work right now. But there's also the saying, all, all good things come to those who wait. So which one is it? Should you uh, hurry up and do something or should you just wait? And there's even attack is the best form of defense, right? That's a proverb. But you also get he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. So it seems like a contradiction, but it's not. You and I know that these English proverbs are true for different situations, right? And that is the same idea in scripture. So if you just turn with me quickly to Proverbs 11. So chapter 11. Um, chapter 11, verse 16. So, Proverbs 11, 16 says, A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. So, if you are a violent man, you're going to get rich. right? You're going to get wealth. But if you turn quickly to Proverbs 22, So, Proverbs 22, verse 4. says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So here he says, if you fear the Lord, then you will get rich. So again, which one is it? Uh, I hope you see the point that you can't take Proverbs as promises. And it's surprising when people do take them as promises, especially when it comes to family. There's the popular passage, uh, uh, verse 6 of Proverbs 22, right? Where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So people will say that if your child does not serve the Lord, it's because you are a bad parent. But that's not always the case. It's a proverb. It's not a guarantee. It's not a promise. And I'm sure you know many families where the child is raised up by loving and wonderful, God-fearing parents, but they grow up to be rebellious against the Lord. In fact, this tends to happen a lot to pastors' kids, right? I hear a lot of those stories. So clearly it's not a guarantee. So always keep in mind the genre. This is proverbial wisdom. Uh, violent people do get rich. right? You've heard that crime doesn't pay. It pays for a lot of individuals. And as South Africans, we know that very well. But it's not always the case. And likewise, those who fear the Lord don't always get rich. right? Jesus feared the Lord perfectly, but he was never rich. Uh, even the apostles, most of them were not rich. Right? They were very poor and they lived very difficult lives. But there are people who fear the Lord. There are believers who, because they fear the Lord, they work hard and they're wise and they're able to make money and become rich. So people who fear the Lord do grow in prosperity. Uh, The United States of America was built on that. The Puritans who who went to America, uh, they were the children of the Protestant Reformation. They had a biblical work ethic and were very prudent and they feared the Lord. They worked hard and they prospered. They worked hard and they prospered, and it's generally true that in a short time, America became the richest nation, mostly because of that ethic. Now, the mechanics of America's prosperity, we can discuss some other time, but if you've ever noticed, it's generally true for society that if they adopt the principles of Christianity, then they will prosper and will end up with a lot of material blessing, even if that society is hedonistic or very secular. So my advice is to take the Proverbs as wonderful encouragement, right? The Proverbs are encouragement if they are positive, and they are serious warnings if they are negative. So let's get into the book, and uh, if you have your Bible, just keep it open and follow along with me. Uh, if, remember, if you have any questions, comments, please stop and uh, stop me and say your piece, right? Okay, so chapter 1, Proverbs 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who hears and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand the proverb and, and the saying, the words of the words of them. Sorry, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So these are the keys to biblical wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord. And to get insight and understanding and to understand proverbs and, ridicules, uh, sorry, and riddles and difficult things is what the author is looking for. And many of the proverbs are difficult sayings. We're told in scripture that they are given to kings to understand these difficult sayings. And as children of God, we are kings. Right? Revelation 1 verse 6 says that Christ has made us kings and priests unto God. So it's given to us to understand these difficult sayings. And God, in his grace, doesn't just spoon-feed us wisdom. Right? God does spoon-feed us when we are spiritual babies. The book of Hebrews speaks about this. The author of Hebrews says that if you are a baby, then milk is good. But you don't want to stay a baby, right? There's something wrong if you are still breastfeeding when you've been in the faith for a long time. We need to mature, right? We need to grow up in the faith. You should be enjoying lambs, lamb shank or pork chops unless you are vegetarian. In that case, you need to repent and go to the butchery. Um, so don't give up. Right? There are hard passages in scripture, but it's a good thing because it should stir our zeal to dig, to dig deep, sorry, to dig deeper, and to seek God from, uh, and to seek help from God in understanding. In the book of Job, Job has this analogy about mining for wisdom in the scripture. If you know anything about mining, it's very difficult, very hard work. But why, why do people do it? <laughs> But why do people do it? Why do people go mining? It's because you only mine for what is precious and valuable. So put in the hard work and you will get the gold, right? This is true of any field that you work in or study. Um, God has given us the universe to study and to understand and to shape, right? He has given us dominion over the world so that we may bring order and goodness. And this should cause us to give God glory. So that's the idea here. And that's what Solomon is teaching his son here, to not give up, to strive and work hard for wisdom. And what is wisdom, right? Well, a definition of it that is very helpful is wisdom is applied knowledge, right? Uh, knowledge knowledge understands. Oh, come on. Cool. Uh, I was talking about knowledge, right? Or wisdom. So wisdom is applied knowledge. And knowledge understands that uh, the robot has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes to stop the car at the red robots. Knowledge sees a snake in the grass, but wisdom walks away from it in the other direction. Right? Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments, but wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns about God. Wisdom loves Him and serves Him. And Proverbs is how to live and prosper in God's world. After all, we live in God's world. But this book is also about how to achieve your goals. So the truly wise person is the one who can say, this is what I want to achieve, right? And this can apply to any sphere in life, right? And then you plot how you want to get there, right? That's wisdom, knowing how to get there, knowing how to achieve your goals. Loads of people have goals, but the wise person is the one who knows how to attain it. Now, as God's people what should be our ultimate goal? It should be to be like Jesus. If it's not, then it should be, right? We want sanctification. And this book gives us wisdom on how to be more like Christ, how to do good and how to turn away from evil, which people you should surround yourself with, which people you should stay away from, how to stay sexually pure. That's what it's going to do. And we want to be wise people. So that is our goal underneath that is your whole life right you're not gonna say okay i want to be like jesus i want to be like christ so i'm just gonna go live up on top of a mountain and read proverbs for the rest of my life isolated that's not how it works right it's now asking yourself what does wisdom look like in my marriage it looks like being a loving husband right how am i going to achieve that uh it looks like being a submissive wife how am i going to achieve that you need wisdom for marriage right contrary to popular belief uh, love is not a feeling in your stomach, right? And, sorry, am I still here? Hello, hello? Hello, can you guys hear me? <sighs> Hello? Am I here? <laughs> Sheesh. I don't know. Pray for, pray for my network, guys, please. Okay, I think I should be fine now until the end. Okay, so, sorry, I was talking about wisdom, right? Um, so there's two types of wisdom, right? Just to, to speed through this because we're losing time. There's biblical wisdom and there is worldly wisdom. Um, because the worldly people, so worldly people also have their own goals and they need wisdom to attain it. The unbeliever could say, I want to be rich, but how am I going to do that? I'm going to rob a bank. And it's actually quite a wise thing, right? You can get a lot of money in a very short amount of time. Um, there's risk involved, but you can get away with it, right? You see heist movies all the time, like Ocean's 11, the Italian job or money heist, right? My, one of my favorite movies, movies is The Dark Knight. And you watch the opening scene to it, which is a heist, and you go, wow, so clever. That's brilliant, so smart, because it is, right? And the ungodly also have wisdom. And Jesus said that. He said that in Luke 16, verse 8. He says, the children of this generation are wiser than the children of light, right? So the worldly people are wiser than his own people, why? Because worldly people know how to get to their goal. Their goal may be to sleep with as many people as possible and they get right into it and they do it, right? Whatever it is that they choose to do. The unbeliever does not mess around. They give themselves fully to their idols, right? They give themselves fully to their, to their gods. Christians, often we, we often say we want to be like Christ, we want to be like Jesus, but then we get distracted here and there and we live foolishly, we live lukewarm. We don't give ourselves fully to becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ this is why Proverbs is great because it's going to give us practical wisdom on how to be more like Jesus in every sphere of life okay so let's let's go into the book any any questions before I begin or are we good okay because I know I, I lost I lost well, I was the last one so if I have skipped something just let me know. Okay, so let's start with chapter 1, right? Chapter 1, verse 8 of Proverbs 1 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So remember chapters 1 to 9 are... Hi. Yes. Hello. Hi. mm Okay, will that help you guys? Let me see, let me see. Okay. You guys can still hear me, right? All right. Okay, cool. Let me continue. If you can't hear me, just shout, say something. Okay, so verse 8 of Proverbs 1 says, Hear, my son, your your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So chapters 1 to 9 are Solomon speaking to his son. And you'll find in these there's a lot about chasing after wisdom. And then if you go to Proverbs 3, Proverbs 3, he tells his son to honor the Lord with his wealth. So verse 9 of chapter 3 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your bonds will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So he's speaking of tithing and giving to the Lord's work. And then verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's wisdom, sorry, the Lord's discipline, or be wary of his reproof. So the writer of Hebrews actually quotes this proverb uh, in verse 11 in writing to the New Testament audience. And then if you go down to verse 27. In verse 27, he says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. And that's a simple thing to do, right? If you are able to do good to people, then do it. In verse 28, he says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. So if you have someone working for you and it's time to pay them, then pay them. Don't say, come tomorrow, I'll give it to you tomorrow. Uh, And this can be applied to different situations, right? Um, If you can give someone something now, if you can help them now, then do it now. Chapter 4, if you go to Proverbs 4, down to verse 23. Verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So he says, You must guard your heart. Remember, the heart is not, we tend to think of the heart as the seat of our emotions. But in scripture, and the way the the, the Jewish people would understand this, is that the heart is the real you, right? It's the core of who you are. So it's your mind, emotions, your intellect, your character, your decision-making center. It's, It's the real you. And he says, guard your hearts. Now, remember when Jesus said, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, It's similar to what is being said here in Proverbs, right? It says, for from it flow the springs of life. So you and I, we act out our hearts. So when you sin or you say anything sinful, that's the real you. Sometimes it will shock you what comes out of your own heart, but that is God's grace to expose the sin issues that you likely haven't acknowledged and need to deal with, right? That is where the conviction comes in. And we like to say, oh, sorry, I wasn't myself. Or, you know, I was feeling some kind of way. That's not the real me. But God's word says, no, that is the real you. We are more sinful than we could ever imagine. So we need God's help in sorting that out, right? Um, And then there's plenty more practical proverbs. If you turn to Proverbs 6. So if you go to chapter 6 and verse 6. So Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant or sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And then if you go to verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little falling of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and once like an armed man, which, so this encourages hard work and warns against laziness, right? And then there's more proverbs like these, um, that'll just, uh, exhort you to do something and not to do another thing. But if you're looking for a main message, a main theme to the proverbs, it's this, there are these two women that are placed before Solomon's son. Wisdom and folly or foolishness. And Proverbs is pretty much a love story. You have two ladies and Solomon is teaching his son to choose the right one. And how does the, Pro- the book of Proverbs end? If you think, yeah, well, everyone knows chapter 31, right? Uh, Proverbs 31, woman. It's the virtuous woman. And she's married to her husband. So you can take it that the son made the right decision. He chose wisdom and he's now married to a godly lady and we have—we really have a royal couple. And Solomon teaches plenty about these two ladies, wisdom and folly. But he spends a lot more time speaking about the lady called folly, right? He spends more time warning against foolishness. And he shows us what, it, what she's like and how deceptive she is and the consequences of following her. So let's go to chapter 7. If we go to Proverbs 7. So, we're in chapter 7 now, and in this account, there are instances of sexual immorality. But remember, in Scripture, when the Israelites have sinned, the Lord will say that they've committed adultery. right? So, it's, it's got two meanings. Sexual immorality here really has two meanings. One is sexual immorality, as you understand it, but it's also a warning against spiritual adultery, because every time we sin, we are sleeping with a false god, with an idol. Remember that you and I are united in Christ, He is our husband, and we are his bride as a church and when we choose something else when we when we disobey when we disobey the Lord and we say to God, "We really say to God, "You can't satisfy me, so I will go look for satisfaction elsewhere somewhere else right and that is spiritual adultery so look at verse six of chapter seven it says for at the, widow, at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. So Solomon is looking out of his window, and he sees this young man. Uh, he's walking, and it's nighttime. And the commentary, a commentary that's very helpful on this passage, speaks about something interesting that's called a sympathetic background. So a sympathetic background is when nature reflects the current state of the individual. So if you think back to cartoons or even movies, when the character is in in frame um, and he's happy and he's at a good point in his life, then everything around him will be sunny and bright, right? There will be a sunny and bright description, which means the character is at a good point in their life, right? Uh, Life is good. Life is sunny. If it's a depressed person, if things are going bad, then the weather description will be murky and gray and gloomy. So a sympathetic background depicts the state of someone's emotional or spiritual life. And the Bible actually uses this device very well. It uses it. Quite a few times, both in the Old and New Testament, and once you see it, you'll see more of it. Think back to when Judas betrayed Jesus in John's Gospel. What does John say? He says when he said when Judas went out, it was night. Right? It's not that oh, it was nighttime. You know, uh, it's it's already dark. It's not that kind of description. No, it's saying that Judas is in total darkness. He was damned. It's night for Judas. It's over, and so it is with this young man in Proverbs seven. Now, what you're about to see is an, over, an overwhelming, it's basically an assault on the senses of his body, right? And men are especially vulnerable to what is sensual, right? Men are more easily aroused to their senses. And you see how's the case with this young man. So look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. So the first thing there is sight, She's dressed like a prostitute, which means she's dressed in a revealing way. And he sees this. The man sees this. Verse 11, she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. And now now in the street, now in the market, and now at every corner, sorry, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. So what we have here is touch, right? Touch is very, very powerful. And what's the effect? he immediately feels welcome, right? He feels wanted, he feels desired by this woman. And with bold face, she says to him, verse 14, I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows. And what that means is it's a peace offering, right? She says that she's there to offer sacrifices and today she has paid her vows. So remember that peace offerings and these vows, they relate to the Jewish nation. They refer to the Israelites. So if you think about it, this woman is not a pagan. She's not an atheist. This is an Israelite woman. right? This is a worshiper of the Lord. So she's apparently a believer. And as God's people, it's very unlikely that you and I would be sexually tempted by the rude, vulgar, rebellious atheist. But the moment the guy or the girl says, I go to church, all of a sudden... Everything changes right your- your defenses drop um, you start to uh become complacent because you 're like, Oh, you know what? this is a believer um you know nothing will happen because you know we both we both obey the lord and that is often the case when ministers fall it's not usually that he fell into sin with an atheist lady down the road it's normally with someone in the church right when you hear of sexual scandals and um any 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 of those kinds of stories, because the defenses drop, right? So you should be keeping your defenses up. Don't be deceived just because she says she's in the temple worshiping, right? Just because he says he's in the temple worshiping, and yet we see this woman here dressed like a prostitute, and she's married, right? So flee fornication and keep your defenses up. And there's this sad story, uh, like I've, I've always heard of. Uh, keep in mind the story of some pastor who was married, and there was a very beautiful young lady in his congregation. He was attracted to her, but he thought that she would never be attracted to him. So he thought that the defense will be on her side, right? That no matter what he would do, she wouldn't be attracted to him um, because she's not interested. But she did, she was interested. And because he never protected himself, they fell into sin. And of course, all the destruction that comes with sexual sin um, to the family and the church followed. If you look at verse 15, it says, So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So the woman uses flattery. right? Flattery is a sin. It's, it's deceiving. It's deceiving people. It's lying to someone. But flattery is very powerful. We've been told that uh, she's always out in the market and the streets. So you get the idea that this woman is a very loose lady. But what does she say? She says, I have come to find you. Right? Like, I was looking for you. Well, in actual fact, he just happens to be there. But she flatters him and says, I came to find you. And how, how would that make someone feel? He'd feel special. Right? It makes him feel special. It makes him feel wanted. Now, who's responsible for what is going on in this situation? They both are. right? Men need to be of their weaknesses. And ladies need to be aware of their power over men. So listen to verse 16. I have have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. Sorry, covered linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So you see how she's using his sense of sight and smell to lure him in. She mentions the couch and the bed, and that could cause his mind to start racing. Verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Now, he knows that she's married, but the husband is not there. And the husband could come home early and catch them, but that probably adds to the thrill, right? It adds to the adrenaline of the situation. Proverbs says, stolen bread eaten in secret is sweet. And uh, Augustine, the the theologian, um, says that when he grew up, the area that he grew up in, there was a peach tree and right, right next door, in the yard next door, there was the exact same peach tree, right? But do you know which one he preferred? He preferred the neighbors, right? He would jump over the wall, steal the fruit, jump back and eat it in secret. And he says it tasted better than his own peaches and it's the same for the young man here right there's a sense of thrill a sense of danger in taking another man's wife so it seems so it it becomes more appealing more attractive but it also becomes way more destructive um hollywood never or rarely shows the true extent of sexual uh uh immorality and the destruction that it brings it's a sin that promises but never delivers right you cannot take hot coals and hold them cho- chest, close to your chest and not get burnt And so the young man is caught up. He's caught up in the situation. And verse 22, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not let her do not stray into her parts. For many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So the consequences are always destructive. right? Don't be fooled by the culture which will tell you that you are being true to yourself and you're finding your true love in being sexually moral. You're actually being a coward that is is falling, that is collapsing to your own lust. And you will leave a trail of destruction either in your marriage, in the other marriage, uh, in the person... Or with the children you know and outside of the lord it ultimately leads to hell it leads to shale right going down to the chambers of death so there's this clear warning not to go that way the way of the adulterous woman then we get to chapter 8 so if you look at chapter 8 here we introduce to lady wisdom so we looked at lady folly this is lady wisdom verse 1 says does not wisdom call does not does not understanding raise her voice on the height beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. So she's calling all men to her. Right? This invitation is going out to everyone. Verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and wisdom, and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Of course, this goes, This you can see that this goes just beyond being a wise woman, right? This wisdom is much more than that, right? If you look at verse 22, Verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. So before the beginning of creation, there was wisdom. This means that wisdom is eternal. Just like in John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word. If it was there before the beginning, that means the word is eternal. And so it is with wisdom. And in the New Testament, in Corinthians, we are told that Christ is our wisdom. Christ is the one we should be seeking after, and he loves all those who love him. And if you desire him and seek after him, he will give you understanding. All right, so we can see that there's a personification of um, Christ as wisdom, or not wisdom as Christ. Uh, either way, you get, you get the point. Um, chapter 9, if you go to chapter 9, in chapter 9, there are two feasts on offer. Lady folly, Lady foolishness has her feast and Lady wisdom has hers. And we don't have time to go into it. But again, if you eat at the feast of folly, you will end up in shale. You will end up in eternal death. But if you eat of the feast of wisdom, see what it says in verse 4 of chapter 9. So Proverbs 9 verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed, right? So eat of the bread, drink of the wine. What does that language remind you of? The Lord's supper, right? Communion. And excuse me, the gospel is often portrayed using food, right? Jesus says, if you don't eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. But if you do eat and drink, you will be saved, right? That is what we see here in the two different feasts being presented. And then the, re- the rest of Proverbs are um, what one speaker said is it's like a multivitamin. They're like vitamins, right? You can't, you can't live on a diet of vitamins alone, but it's very good to have vitamins with your diet, right? You can't live on a proverb, but it's good to dip into them frequently. And Proverbs deal with a massive range of issues um, like poverty. Poverty is a real big issue. And there's several proverbs around that. Uh, general, generally, I see a lot of middle-class people say, uh, oh, this guy's poor because he's lazy. Uh, um, she's poor because she doesn't want to work. And there tends to be a truth in that. Even the proverbs will support that. However, the Bible also says that there's no easy answer to life's questions, even that of poverty. So Proverbs 10 verse 15 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And the poverty of the poor is their ruin. So a rich man's wealth is his protection. And this is true to this day. The truly wealthy get more wealthy, even when there's a downturn in the economy. This this has been happening even now during the pandemic, uh, even now with the kind of week that we're having, right? Uh, Rich people always know how to capitalize and build off of calamity, it seems. And yet the poverty of the poor is their ruin. So if you're born into poverty how are you going to get out of it it's a vicious cycle right because you can't afford an education so you can only afford a lower you can only get a low paying job and um you have children and they can only it's just a vicious cycle that that seems to have no end and the point of that is that there is nuance to all of this right you need to take in all that scre- that scripture teaches about something because it's all very nuanced god does not just say Laziness is the cause of poverty, right? We all know it's never that straightforward in our personal lives and what we see going on in society. So don't settle for the simplistic answer on these issues. Um, it makes us feel better, right? It's, it's easy. We, we're lazy to think. Um, and that's why we like to settle for the, the, the simple answer, because we also like to explain things away. But life is not like that at all. And God's word is so amazing that it deals with reality, Right, it's dealing with the reality of all these issues. Uh, Proverbs 14, you can go to Proverbs 14, verse 30, says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So what is envy? Envy is basically a malicious desire for the advantages or privileges that are enjoyed by other people. The Bible says we shouldn't covet, right? Thou shalt not covet. With covetousness, we see the blessings that other people have, and we want it for ourselves as well, right? We want to duplicate the blessing, but envy wants the other person to not have it, right? There's a difference there. Envy has a destructive side. If I can't have it, then no one should. And today, envy is seen as a virtue, right? It's seen as a good thing. We call it equality. We call it justice even. Uh, And Christians should have nothing to do with envy. Envy is what put Jesus on the cross. The worst crime in history of the human race was perpetrated because of envy. Right? Matthew 27 verse 18 says, For he, talking about Pilate, knew that for envy they had delivered him. So the Jews were envious of Christ um, and they de- delivered him to the authorities. But in the end, envy makes your bones rot. Right? That's what we get from that proverb. Um, Proverbs 22 verse 9 says whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor so those who are generous with what god has given them will be blessed john bunyan once said there was a man some thought him mad the more he gave the more he had right so god not only blesses when we give to him when we serve him in Using our money, our gifts and our resources He also blesses when we give to the poor Right, and the Lord loves A cheerful, cheerful giver And if you trust in his sovereignty Then you know that um, You know, when you When you're generous, when you give of your The resources that he has given you He will make sure that you're taken care of, regardless um, Okay, let's let's just jump to the end Let's jump to Proverbs 31 So in this in this day and age you find a lot of blogs and videos uh, social media content aimed at christian women telling telling christian women wanting to assure them that proverbs 31 is not all there is to being a woman and instead of thinking critically right as believers about the picture of womanhood that proverbs 31 paints and asking do i look like this is this my character it's now popular to assure women that they don't have to look like this, right? And then using the world as a template for what it looks like to be a godly woman. And as believers, we know that we all fall short, right? Men fall short, women fall short of the standard God has set. But that does not mean that God's standard and design for women is flawed, even if the world says it is, right? Because that's what the world is saying. We simply can't attain the standard. But that doesn't mean that uh, a woman should be afraid of failure and should not pursue the standard set in Proverbs 31. Because if you are, it's a form of unbelief because you're not holding on to God's promises to sanctify and to grow you. The prayer of every Christian woman should be that God would graciously help her to make to help her to look more and more like the Proverbs 31 woman right? And that will happen through obedience to God, repentance, and belief in what God has said. It's because of God's work in your heart that you as a woman will bear fruit. The woman described in Proverbs 31 didn't become praiseworthy through dependence on herself or through her own skills or her wisdom or character. She was obedient to God, right? And she flourished. She embraced her design God planted the, uh, she embraced her design. God planted the seeds that she, she planted the seeds that she was given and she became praiseworthy. And that is a challenge for both us men and women today, especially, do we believe what God says about women or do we believe what our unjust evil society has to say about women? Proverbs Proverbs 31 tells us what God says is a godly woman, right? So this is about a virtuous woman and it's important to know this because um, this passage, this woman that is depicted here is idealized, right? This is an ideal picture of a virtuous woman. So, ladies, don't feel condemned or discouraged that you cannot live up to this woman, right? Because if you read the description, we don't have time to go through it line by line, but if you read, if you read through the Proverbs 31, this woman only sleeps probably like three hours a day, twice a week, right? And that's just nearly impossible, But what is she like? The passage tells us, right? It tells us that she is trustworthy. Um, Her character and her competence inspire her husband's complete confidence in her. Um, She is an asset rather than a liability. She is handy, right? She's very industrious. She's entrepreneurial. She's also compassionate. She doesn't just feel sorry for the less fortunate, but she takes action to actually relieve their stress. She is well prepared for the future. Her speech is sweet. Uh, She's praiseworthy. Uh, Her influence spreads far beyond her home. Right? It spreads beyond her home, but it's centered there. Right? Her home is a main priority. And she's also inwardly, inwardly beautiful. That's what we're told. Those are some of the principles that you can take from Proverbs 31. This woman here is hardworking. She's entrepreneurial. She cares deeply for her family. And she looks after her family. And one commentator said, I think it was John Stott. He said, uh, this lady's standard is not implied to be within the reach of all, for it presupposes unusual gifts and material resources. Right? Going back to what I was saying just now, that this is, not, this is an ideal, idealized picture of the virtuous woman. You, as a real woman, you must know yourself, right? And what you're good at and what you're not good at. We don't all have the same gifts. But uh, what you do have, right, the gifts that you have been given by God, use those, right? Use them to the best of your abilities. Um, The character that you see here, compassion, uh, love, uh, being industrious, you know, um, serving others. Those are things very much within your reach. Um, And use all of that. Use who the Lord has shaped you to be to serve other people. Don't try to be somebody else because the Lord doesn't want you to be somebody else. And then look at, just, look at verse 23 of Proverbs 31. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he, sits, when he sits among the elders of the land. So her husband is known in the gates. He sits among the elders of the land. So sitting at the gates, uh, what that meant is back in the day, if a man sat in the gates, he was in a leadership role. In the ancient world, it said that you were an important person. You were respected. Why is this man respected in the gates? Why is he respected in high places? It's because of his wife. It's very true that a woman can make her man look good in a very unique way. It's a gift that women have. First Corinthians 11 says, Woman is the glory of man. And Proverbs 12 uh, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Right? Woman is the glory of man. She makes him look glorious. If you take that picture... And you look at the broader picture between Christ and his bride, the Lord and the church. What is the role of the church? What is the role, our role as believers? It's to make Jesus look good, right? It's to, we are to make him look glorious to the world. We are to magnify him and to let the world know how amazing he is. It's so much easier for us than a wife or her husband because uh, um, men and women, we are fallen creatures. You know, men are fallen um so it's that much harder to make them look glorious when you see their failures and their weaknesses. But Christ is perfect, he's sinless and he's completely glorious. And so we should be proclaiming to the world in our words and with our lives that He's an amazing Saviour, right? Um so amazing that He even gave of His own life, He laid down His life for His bride, um in love for His Bride, right? And his bride will be raised to glory with him. So okay, we're almost out of time. So I'll just quickly summarize. Right In summary, the image for wisdom in Proverbs is it's overwhelmingly feminine, but so is folly. So is foolishness. The book of Proverbs is dedicated to teaching young men to walk uprightly. And this means taking women into account, but women of both kinds both the wise woman and the foolish woman. Women must learn from the book of Proverbs also, but they must do it in reverse, which is to say, don't be the kind of woman that the godly Solomon was warning the son about, right? Rather be the Proverbs 31 woman. That is the standard that you should strive for. Um, So we leave it there. Um, are there, Are there any questions? Are there any comments? Any thoughts on that?